Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Welcome back, Life to the Full community. If you are just joining us, this is Life to the Full podcast. We started our journey in the spring with staying curious in our relationships. We are now in the summer season, which is increasing our vulnerability. We run our podcast with series, so the first series in this season has been building trust, that trust series. And you could always go to our website to follow through where Jim took us through the path and the pattern and we based it off the five dysfunctions of a team. For this new series, which is Make Space for Vulnerability, we're leaning more towards Brene Brown's book, Dare to Leave. So please make sure that you picked up the book or again, go to the website where Jimmy has loaded tons of information and in the show notes. So last week, we uh, opened up by us personally sharing what vulnerability meant for us growing up. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned that today we were going to talk about some of the myths that are from the book Dare to Lead. And I believe today we're going to talk about three of them. And so, Jimmy, where, what do you have for us today? Yeah, so like you said, we're going to be going into uh, the myths of vulnerability. Uh, vulnerability, as defined by Brene Brown on page 19 of her book, Dare to Lead, is the definition of vulnerability as the emotion that we experience during times of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Big word that stood out for me was uncertainty. Yeah, no one likes to feel uncertain. Uh, no one likes to taking feel risks. Uncertain. Right? Well, not. Yeah, what did I say? Certain. Yeah, no, no one likes feeling uncertain. People tend to like certainty. Um, no one really likes necessarily risk by default. Although some of us have trained ourselves to be more comfortable with risk than others, uh, most of us like safety over risk. And emotional exposure. Emotional exposure can be uh, very, very challenging. We want to feel emotionally... Secure. Secure, (laughs) right? Or or stable. Uh Or close, like private. Yeah, people can be like, oh, I don't like dealing with that person. They're way too emotional, Mm. right? Or, oh, man, like... Oh, that's been said to you. Yeah, I can't can't talk right now. I'm way too emotional. You Mm. know, we don't really risk uh, just being true with our emotions so i think you know even though Brene brown's book um again is written she is a researcher she researched a lot of companies shame and vulnerability for over 20 years over 20 years it wasn't really something that she sought out to do it ended up calling falling into her lap 
when she was trying to uh, research other things. Um, but it was one of those things that kind of just, you know, she, her research exposed some things. Uh, it led her down a trail where she, uh, you know, learned a lot about shame, human thriving, and about vulnerability and how difficult that can be. And I think it's very, very difficult in a business setting, right? Because there you are with, you know, people you work with. It's not really supposed to, people don't think of it as a place of vulnerability. They think of it as a place as invulnerability or a place where they need to protect themselves, Mm. right? But she is trying to change that. And a lot of uh, stuff that she gives away for free, you know, you can pay for her and her team to come to uh, your place of business and to, you know, help you uh, through this process. But most of the tools she's just given for free, uh, in her own words, because she's looking to create a world of brave leaders, mm-hmm. of brave teams, mm-hmm. of people who are really, you know, striving to become, in a sense, more human, yeah. you know, uh, or truly human. Mm. Um, but I think there are some myths that get in the way. There are some common misunderstandings that get in the way of vulnerability. Uh, besides even just like thinking, well, not us, we're good. My team is great. I know my team. I love my team. We're good. Um, I think that's one way we can be blindsided by vulnerability and a lot of the problems that that spring from that. But uh, in her book, she does go through six myths of vulnerability. Um, And I found the book to be very, very helpful. But for me, it was still coming from like a, uh, a corporate situation. Like these were some more issues that I recognized from my time in nonprofits and like businesses. You know, those was, those were some of the issues I saw there, like very specifically. She spelled it out very well. But I felt like for churches, there it was like a little bit of like a, just a twist, a little bit of perception that made it more, more real for me. And some of these things really, really resonated with me. And I'm going to share some scriptures uh, that, you know, this is the way I used to take the scripture and how it kind of kept me from being vulnerable. And I think like, you know, I want to share that maybe someone has also misunderstood some of these scriptures as well, and maybe that could help them. I love it. Yeah. Personal example is the most powerful thing we could ever do in this podcast. Yes. And I came up with that all by myself. Just after an hour recording. After an hour of basically, yeah. <laughs> anyway. It's okay, guys. Uh, this is part of the journey. Um, I know I was coming more from recent conversations, and I really wanted to look at our approach of how we frame things. I wanted just to make sure you guys knew we, we want to. This message is for all of us to not get somewhere. This is for all of us to step into this new journey mm-hmm. as we discover, as we stay curious, as we ask better questions. And as most likely the reason why you're here, you want to build more trust in your team and you want to have a thriving ministry who doesn't want that as a as a goal or as a desire in their heart so let's dive in what's myth number one senor so myth number one senora mm-hmm. or senorita no senora <laughs> i am married now oh i can no longer say senorita loquita nope <laughs> okay doesn't it mean little crazy lady the senorita means missus and loquita 
crazy little crazy woman. <laughs> All right. So myth number one is vulnerability is weakness. Mm-hmm. So if you go to Second Corinthians, verse ten, mm-hmm. I will read it because my Bible's print is very small, mm-hmm. and someone does not have their glasses. <laughs> uh, you know, this is Paul's vision of vision and his thorn. It's very very common uh, place in Scripture for preaching and Bible talks and all types of stuff. It says that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right. So I used to read this, and I used to think that you know Christians, we just all need to be weak. We just need to talk about our weaknesses. You know, we need to delight in them. And I'll never forget um, my dad when he was still with us. Mm. Uh, he came, I actually got him out to a church event mm-hmm. once, mm-hmm. just once. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to have these events called like Men's Day. It was a bunch of men. We all got together. There were speakers. And um, it was a time in the church where I think this this was something that we all kind of like bought into. Like, you know, we're, we're Christians. We're weak. We're just, you know, one leper showing another leper where the feast is. You know, one poor person showing another poor person where grace and truth is and, and all that stuff. Um, and for me, there, there was an overemphasis on that. So I got my dad to go to this this day. Uh, we went to the city. I think we even commuted in. I, I somehow got him to commute in because my dad didn't really like to drive in cars. So we commuted over there. And at this event, like all the speakers basically had some type of, they would call it like a testimony. Mm-hmm. So the first speaker came up. You know, it's talked about he had a severe drug problem, you know, and how God saved him from that. The next speaker came up, talked about how he had cheated on his wife uh, before he became a Christian. And, you know, through that, he got better. People talked about, you know, abuse, talking about hurting people and all these things. And I remember at the time, I thought this was like a really powerful testimony. So I couldn't wait until we finished and we got out of it. And so we were walking in the street. And I was like, Dad, like, what'd you think about it? He's like, you know, I, I'm really glad. My dad's like, you know, a big, big Italian from Brooklyn. <laughs> so if you can imagine, like, you know, he had a lot of personality. He's like, well, you know, this is good. This is good. This is really good for these people because it sounds like they had a lot of problems. But uh, but I'm okay. I think uh, I'm feeling really good about myself. You know, like. Uh, <laughs> Gold off for dad because uh, he's he doesn't have all these problems in his life, and you know like you can, you can make the argument okay he totally missed the point like he totally didn't get like what these people were trying to share, mm. uh, but I, I do think sometimes in Christianity I, I know I did this um, we embrace Christianity and what I would like to call a culture of weakness mm-hmm. where I would almost feel bad when other people would share because I'd be like wow I don't have anything like that to talk about. Mm. You know, and I would o- almost like overemphasize the stuff that I that I, I did have to share about, you know, and it kind of made um, my weakness and what I was safe from almost like the point, you know, I don't know if you ever heard of people calling uh, Christianity a crutch, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, oh, Christians are weak, they need crutches. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of where I was, you know, I kind of felt like I need to 
like always be speaking about just how weak I am and how I have all these things, you know, because it says it right here in Second Corinthians 12, verse 10. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. And then I really focused on this for when I am weak, I am strong. Yeah. Right. And then I actually read Paul's letter, mm-hmm. the full the full letter. Um, learn some things about reading the letters that you have to like take into account when you're reading these letters. It's like you're spying on someone's mail, right? Mm-hmm. You're not getting the full story. And a totally different picture of Paul was made for me through le- reading Paul's letters, not just 2 Corinthians mm-hmm. or 3 Corinthians, depending on who you ask, because uh, we're missing a letter. A little nerd trivia. She's looking at me like, you're such a nerd. So a totally different image of Paul got painted for me. Um, it's probably even too much to go into here. I think this could be a great lesson one day of really like understanding Paul. Yeah. But Paul basically in 2 Corinthians is very, very concerned with his apostleship. He's very concerned about his mission and his calling and that people understand who he is. Mm-hmm. That kind of comes across in a lot of his letters. And what you see is you see a, a portrait of a person who was very, very invested in a church community mm-hmm. that he had felt rejected by. They didn't think he was a good speaker, right? He never he never charged them for his services. He never like, you know, we think of churches right now being supported by the people who, uh, you know, gain some benefit from the evangelist or the ministry leaders. He didn't do that with them. He kind of talks about how I robbed other churches so I could I could give to you. You know, he was being supported by other people. Um, you know, by entrepreneurs back in the day. <laughs> yeah, depending on, you know. And, Women. And, and a total side note, but work was like a lot different than we think of it mm-hmm. now. Like if you were a tent maker, that didn't mean necessarily you went to a shop every day and you made tents. Right. You went, you woke up at 8 o'clock, you got to the tent shop at 9, and you left at 5, and you had two weeks vacation with a dental plan and all that stuff. Work for a lot of people was very, very seasonal. Mm. And so when in these markets, you had even places that you could kind of set up shop. shop. Mm-hmm. It was all ready for you to go there and do it. So a person like Paul might work for like three months mm-hmm. or less. He, he had his busy seasons, right? Mm-hmm. He would work and then that might support him for the rest of the year. So it wasn't like the way we think of work today. And then if Paul wasn't making tents, someone else had to keep paying his salary so he could do this, it was much, much different than it is today. People could conceivably, you know, uh, make a living off of working much less. Even if when they were working, maybe they worked longer hours, you know, maybe they kind of were always on. Immersed in their job. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but then it was like it was done. So there's a culture of weakness versus what I would call a culture of vulnerability. And I don't think Paul was necessarily talking about all the stuff that he had been through. To kind of be like, look at what happened to me, guys. You need to pay attention to me because of all the bad things that happened to me because I'm so weak, right? It's his whole point of like, he's kind of like putting himself out there. He's being very, very vulnerable uh-huh. with the Corinthians. They they have rejected him in a sense. He calls, he calls them the super apostles, kind of like mockingly. These trained speakers that came from someplace else. That, you know, people were like, almost like, oh, wow, Paul, he, he can't, he can't speak in public. But these guys, these trained speakers, and we don't necessarily know if this is 
complete the complete story, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, because we're getting this from little bits and pieces of Paul's mail that we we somehow saved over the years. But the whole idea is that here's a community that Paul is heavily invested in, and there's been some type of rejection of his message, right? And end of his apostleship. Like, you know, they're kind of like, and he's still daring to reach out to them. Mm. He still cares enough about them to like be pouring his heart out to them. And, uh, you know, it's a very humbling thing to do. He's being very vulnerable. Mm. And that kind of changed my own Christianity and my own leadership. Um, because, you know, I used to have like a, a memory bank of every bad thing I've ever done. And I would I would take that out. It was like in a box. Mm. It's, it was labeled Sinner. Subtitled James Daniel Lito. And when I got to a point when I was studying the Bible of maybe somebody who was new, I would take that box out and I would open it up. Mm. And I would share with them my, my collection mm-hmm. of the most horrible things I've ever done. Yeah. Or I would keep them up there if I needed a really good ser- sermon illustration. Yeah. I would take that down. I would look at them. Hmm, should I talk about uh, the time I used drugs? Should I talk about the time I was unfaithful to my girlfriend? Should I talk about, what should I talk about? Mm-hmm. You know? Ooh, atheism, that might be a good one. People seem to love that when I talk about how I was an atheist. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what am I taking out of the most horrible things I've ever done? And I, you know, my my headcanon, as they say in the nerd world, right? <laughs> or my mental theology was like, it was because of this, because this is the way Paul did it. You know, Paul was just like, out there with his weaknesses and yeah to some extent he was you know and to other extent he wasn't because he wasn't necessarily telling us everything we still don't know what his thorn was he talks about this you know because of these surpassingly great revelations that was given to me a thorn in my flesh a messenger from satan three times i prayed to the lord all that stuff right we have no idea what that is mm-hmm. nt Wright, you know speculates that it could have been a wife that abandoned him mm-hmm. um some people say it could have been because he was whipped so many times that the way it healed uh, kind of created something that was like very painful. Mm. Uh, I've become under the persuasion that the thorn that he's talking about is the Corinthians. That's kind of where I've kind of landed. I have no idea. And the point is no one really knows because he never told us. Mm. Because vulnerability wasn't about just transparency. It wasn't about just being weak. It's not embracing a culture of weakness. Right? God's spirit is supposed to be powerful. Yes. We are supposed to have powerfully transformed lives. Um, Paul, what he did embrace, though, was what I call the culture of vulnerability. He kind of put it all out there. You know, like if this was like a dating relationship, he would be the one who would dare to go first. He would he'd yeah. be the one who'd say, I love you first. <laughs> right? Yeah. He was totally vulnerable. And even when people were like, no, he was like, but I love you. Mm. Look at look at what a fool of making myself. And if you read the whole letter, I believe that comes out. I could even point us to some, you know, resources that kind of spell it out more than I'm able to do in our short podcast. And this is what we mean by not taking certain scriptures and making that your manual. Yes. It's so I love this example. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I know I've been in conversation lately. And I've said, well, I'm not going to go, you know, what's it called? That's saying tips for taps. Is that, yeah, tip for tap. Tap or tat? Uh, tip for tat is the way I've heard it. Like, Yeah. Yeah. No, I just wanted, I don't know. I'm not American. So how I could be saying say that it? wrong too. I'm like getting a moment now where I'm like, is that what it is? 
Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. This is this is a great example, honey. I love it. I was gonna. The only thing I wanted to add because it's part of my story, part of why superstars, we talk about living our life to the full by our God-given potential and strength. And people have looked at me with like cross eyes, like, why do you keep talking about strength? You're not being humble. Um, and uh, so I really appreciate uh, sharing this because I. I, I I, I do believe that the word of God is powerful and, you know, Jesus being on the cross, you know, that transformed lives like Jesus, the, the cross transforms my life. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's good. That's great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, it, it's an important conversation to have. Yeah. I think, um, you know, many people, um, this isn't mine that I'm going to say now, have come to realize that this deconstruction of the way we view scripture is very, very important. That's the word. Yeah. Deconstruction of the scripture. I've been battling about, because saying we got things wrong already puts the defense up so high. Mm -hmm. That's a really good word. I believe that's an anti-right one. Yeah, Um, it is. It is. You know, because he talks in um, his book, The Authority of Scripture, uh, scripture and the authority of God. Mm-hmm. I always want to change his title, make it a little cleaner. Um, but he talks about... <laughs> I'm rolling up my ass, guys. She totally is. Um, he does talk about like an illustration of what like scholarship has kind of done to people of the Christian you know, faith when they, when they begin to learn a lot of this stuff, especially from the evangelical world. Yeah. Where, you know, like, or the Stone Campbell family branch of the tree where we're from, where you can pick something out. You see, see? This is this is what it means. This is what it means. Yeah. And he says, like, when people first get in contact with scholarship, it's like you're, you're taking your car to the mechanic. Oh, I love that. And no, you drop it off. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you come back, all the parts. All the parts out. are yes. out and they're beautifully yes. cleaned and labeled. Yeah. Muffler. Yes. Cadillac converter. Battery. And they're all, like, out there. And the mechanic is, like, grinning with a Kool-Aid smile. Yeah. Because he's like, aha, aha. <laughs> And you're like, um, but does my car work? Mm-hmm. You know, the car being our faith. Does my faith still work? Mm, now do yeah. I now that I see all the parts? Yeah. And I think it's very very important. And then you know you, you go through the often painful process of learning how to put all that together. Yeah. Right. Because then it's like, well, how do I help people if I can't pick a scripture out anymore and help them with that? Yeah. Like, wh- what do I do? What, how do I how do I use the Bible? Yeah. You know, and. Um, we're hoping to embark on our own class soon. We want to try and get a group of people in the room just to talk about some of these things using different resources that I've learned from N.T. Wright, Tim Mackey, different podcasts we listen to. Yeah. And we're still keeping the virtual roundtable, which mm-hmm. will be coming this Friday. Yes, so it will. You, if you're listening Wednesday, if you're listening on Wednesday, July 27th, you have a few more days for our virtual roundtable. And remember that they happen on the last Friday of every month. Please reach out to us. Register. If you register once, I mean one time, you will be registered for the rest of, basically, we've committed for a year. So for the rest of the year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is an important, this is probably an important, I I think I want to deal with this more in the fall when we talk about um, taking responsibility. responsibility, Mm -hmm. Because I think, we do need to take responsibility the way we use scriptures and the way we even think about scriptures. Yeah. But, you know, like it can be very uh, disorienting. Um, 
And I think it could be, it's like a, I think this is why a lot of times people, why I personally have missed things in scripture because it's like I'm reading it the same way I've always read it. Yeah. And I'm just missing that there's a larger story going on. And there's all these, you know, like you can't just like take a scripture out and then just decide things. Right. But yeah, that. going back to the analogy, so the mechanic putting all the parts apart. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the end of the analogy? <laughs> the end of the analogy is, yeah, it's tough. What do we do? <laughs> when we do that. Yeah. And I think it's an important thing to do. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you go into the process of kind of like putting it all back together. And you even begin to ask more fundamental questions like, like if this is back to the car me- metaphor. Yeah, that's what wh- I wanted to Why do I even need a car? Mm-hmm. Why do I drive in the first place? Mm-hmm. What is the point of all this? Mm-hmm. And I think like some of those questions, I think when we go into the Bible and we use it as a proof text mm-hmm. to kind of proof out our, our homegrown brand of Christianity, right? We're missing the larger point. We're asking the wrong questions. Right, right. Okay. I thought I thought he ended up talking about something else. I think that's why. Because I know when he gave that analogy and how God became king, it's like towards like the last pages. And I was like doing car wheels. I was like, oh my goodness, this is such a great analogy. <laughs> so I thought it was like we were missing something towards the end. But you're right. It's about asking ourselves a better question. And it connects to what we're learning from the Bible Project, how this is a unified story that leads, leads to, to Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. So, Yes. Okay. Yeah. Have you just understanding like the main point? Yes. So the main point here isn't creating a culture of weakness. Hey guys, I'm so weak. Thank thank God for God. He saved right. him for all this. Not saying that that's not necessarily true. Right. And I think that that can be true. Of course. Um, but I think the deeper issue here yes. is embracing a culture of vulnerability where like God, you know, throughout the entire Hebrew scriptures yeah. and the New Testament is constantly reaching out to a people, to a world, that are denying him to his very face. Yep. You know? It's disappointing. It's yeah. hurting. And still going at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the response of Jesus and the ultimate rejection to the to the people he was sent to, yeah. you're hanging on a cross, dying, Father, forgive them, but they do not know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, God always chooses love. God always chooses vulnerability over necessarily, like, laying down the law right you know which i think we miss a lot yes myth number two is you know what i don't do vulnerability Hmm. you know yeah did you remember anything from the book about that No, no yeah so I think that's kind of like in her book, that's more of the idea of, you know what, I, I don't like being vulnerable. I don't go there. I want to be able to do my job without having to be vulnerable. Right. You know, and I think the way this shows up, it, the way this showed up for me uh, is what, you know, someone else has written a, a great book on this called The Sin of Certainty, Peter Ends. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it shows up in Christianity. I think... Mm-hmm. We can maybe be vulnerable with each other. We can get to a place where I'm, I'm willing to be vulnerable with you mm-hmm. or myself or other people, my children, whoever, my dog. Uh, but the one thing we don't want to be vulnerable with, we don't want to engage in, is being vulnerable with the scriptures. Like maybe I don't know 
what I think I know about these scriptures. And that's kind of like what Peter Entz calls, and I think it's great, the sin of certainty. It's just missing the mark in terms of that we think we're supposed to be sure about God's word and about everything that's written in it. Black and white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that misunderstanding came, again, from Second Corinthians. This is why I used to have such issues with Paul. A lot of my misunderstandings came from Paul until I learned to actually you know, read him properly. And even now, sometimes I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, like Peter says, you know, Paul writes a lot of things. It's hard to understand. <laughs> anyway, so Second Corinthians 11, verse 4. It says, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I'm least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. So he's kind of talking about, okay, if someone comes to you and preaches a different gospel. And then I would go, I would take the extra step. And I would say, okay, so what I was taught the scriptures mean is what they mean. And I can't question that. He's basically saying, um, you know, if someone comes and preaches to you a different gospel. And he says this other places too, like, do you mind if I go there? Galatians 1.8 says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Exclamation point. Um, you know, so I think there's there's an idea that I had that what I was originally taught when I came into this particular tradition are unquestionable things. So, you know, the way I was taught to read the scriptures was the only way I should be allowed to read the scriptures. Because I confused theology with the gospel. And we know now gospel means the good news, euangelion, right? It's in the gospels. It's the fulfillment of Israel's story and what that means to the world. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean necessarily that everything in scripture should be perfectly clear. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've been on YouTube and I've seen, you know, different people say, well, the Bible is perfectly clear. It's clear. Why are people so confused? It's right here, mm-hmm. right? Or we approach the Bible as the basic instructions before leaving Earth from the old Wu-Tang song. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's their thing or they got it from someone else. You had a, a good point the other week when you said, if baptism was so clear, why are there so many denominations? Yeah. I broke from that. I, I'm still like pondering my mind, exploding out of that question. Yeah. Just as a, as a, it's a great example. It's a great example. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about it in point of view on the history of the church, uh, about the, all the different denominations, and I know you touched up on that. Uh, but just asking that question, I think it's it's a great question. Yeah. If it was so clear, why have so many churches broken up? Yeah. Over that topic. Over that topic, or even over other topics. Yeah. No, we're just using that. I was just using yeah. that as an example. Right, of course. Yeah, because that's close to our own tradition and our own, you know, fairly recent church history. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think there's a confusion a lot of times between the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and theology. 
I think theology, our theology should be something that's constantly evolving, constantly changing, and uh, constantly just being pushed forward, where the gospel doesn't necessarily change, mm-hmm. right? It might speak to different ages of humanity in different ways, but the basic message is, you know, Jesus... Became king. <laughs> became king, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, paradoxically, or ironically... Uh, a lot of one of the things that the authors of the New Testament, the letters, Paul and the others who wrote letters, one of the things they were, it, we think that they were arguing the most against, were a branch of Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word "nois," which means knowledge or secret knowledge, and they kind of denied the humanity of Jesus. Mm. They denied the resurrection of the dead. They, they were more concerned with a heavenly destination versus, like, actually caring about what's happening here. Like, in some of the letters, it's almost like people seem to have stopped working because they're like, what's the point? You know, anything I do here, what's the point of my body? What's the point of what I build here? It It's all going to be destroyed anyway. I'm going to go someplace else. And that seemed to be something that you know, the authors of the New Testament really kind of tried to fight against, um, as well as including the Gentiles into Israel's story, you know? So that was like the biggest issue. But I think also there were these teachers who would come and they would kind of like, you know, deny, you know, and I think today we look at that and we're like, ha ha ha, how could these Gnostics deny the resurrection of Jesus? They're, they're so dumb. They were so foolish. Obviously, we have nothing in relation to them. But I do think that there's things that we can learn from them when we, I don't think we realize that we deny the resurrection of Jesus when we make it all about, well, where we're going to go or the reward of our faith, you know? And I think, you know, people can read scriptures like this and be like, oh, wow, it's so important that people think and know the right things because when they think and know the right things, when they die, that's going to determine their ultimate destination, heaven or hell. Where when I look at the scriptures, I see more, no, it's about what we build here mm-hmm. and what we're going to build in the age to come yep. when Jesus finally comes back and there's a resurre- resurrection of the dead and the restoration of the heavens and the earth, the new heavens and the new earth. Um, yeah. So that's where, where I feel like for me as a Christian, I didn't really want to do vulnerability for many, many years. <laughs> I remember even recently um, recommending a podcast to somebody mm-hmm. and they started it and then I, I followed up with them and I was like, oh, how are you enjoying that podcast? And they're like, I had to stop. I had to stop, Jimmy. And I was like, why? It was just making me question too many things. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so sad and I told them that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it, it has been good for them. I think they, they also now went back and they're... They're, they're challenging themselves. Mm, hey, is, yeah, you know, <laughs> good job, nameless person that I'm not going to name on the podcast, <laughs> but you know who you are. I know you listen. So, you know, it's just really just embracing the fact that we need to be engaging this book yeah. in a spirit of humility yeah. that says, I, I don't know everything, mm-hmm. you know. Um, one of the things that makes Paul so brilliant, in my opinion, is that he, w- he had the mind that could like connect all this stuff. Mm-hmm. He could connect Greek philosophy. 
He could co- connect Stoic philosophy. He could connect Epicurean plays. He could connect mathematics. He could connect all this stuff to the Jewish scriptures because he had them so much deep in his heart. And he was able to connect all these things and make and questions, bring up questions. I think we don't realize how many questions Paul actually brings up. You know, we miss the fact where sometimes he says, this is a profound mystery, mm-hmm. but I'm talking about Christ in the church, right? He's using that marriage illustration mm-hmm. at the end of Ephesians, right? So it's just understanding that when we say I don't do vulnerability, a lot of times for me, what that's meant is that I don't do vulnerability with the Bible. I'm not open to the fact that I don't know everything about the Bible. And uh, it's something I have to constantly fight against. Because every time I learn something new, I'm like, ha, 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 ha. I now have the answers to life. You know, where it's like, no, it's you have to approach that with humility. Because yeah. you could still be wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of okay. But the gospel is something that we hold on to. So if someone comes and preaches the gospel, other than the one that's actually in the gospels, that's maybe a problem. So that's myth number two. I don't do vulnerability. This is our third and final myth for today. Let's do it. And then we can go get something to eat. Yes. (laughs) It says, I can go it alone. Mm -hmm. So I can do it alone. Um, What I remember from her book is that someone came up to her after a talk. And he was like, yeah, I'm like a really liking what you have to say about vulnerability. I'm going to I'm going to try it out with myself first and then I'm going to then I'm going to try it with other people. But I need to practice with myself first. And she, and she was like, "What? What? No, tell tell me more." That's kind of like her thing. And then Oh, I'm listening. I think yeah, that's her quote, right? Yeah. I'm listening. Yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> and then he, she was kind of like, "No, you 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 can't. You can't do vulnerability by yourself." <laughs> that's the point. Like, you know, you need to be vulnerable. And that means putting yourself out there to other people. Okay. So the way I think this plays has played out for me is in one of three ways. With other Christians, the world, and the church. And I'm kind of go kind of quickly going to go through all three. So the way I can go it alone has played out with me and other Christians is I feel like in my own spiritual life I've had an overemphasis on my own personal relationship with God. Okay. Which means that, you know, I, I could think of getting close to God as me sitting down in the morning by myself with my Bible, with my coffee, and having a personal devotion time, or what my tradition calls a quiet time, um, where it's just me, you know? And I think, for me, it came from, you know, the book of Acts, where, you know, it talks a lot of it talks about being, we always talk about being a Berean. In Acts 17, verse 10, it says, As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Uh, so, I don't know why they divided the Greek women and Greek men. That's kind of weird. But, so I, you know, grew up spiritually thinking, okay, I want to be more noble. 
right? I want to take the scriptures and I want to examine them personally to see if, if what people are telling me is true. Now, I'm not trying to discount that, but I think when we look at the story, you know, we, we forget that they weren't carrying around a copy of the Bible with right. them. They didn't go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then went into a room and was like, all right. What it most likely meant is that they all went to synagogue. They all broke out the scrolls and they had a nice argument about it. A conversation. They had a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all about them and their own personal study. Because that was almost impossible. Mm-hmm. You could personally study it if you had it memorized. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of like play around with it in your head, meditate on it. But if you had to rely on reading it or kind of really working something out, you really needed to do that in a community. Mm-hmm. And I think for me personally, I lost that along the way. I don't even know if I ever had it. I, I feel like I'm trying to build that in my life now. It was more for me about, okay... That hour or two in the morning, if I don't have that, you don't even want to talk to me because I just need that just to be normal, Mm. you know? And I know it's a common experience in my church because I've heard people talk about that. You need to be having your quiet time. If you're not having your quiet time, what are you doing? Why, why Why don't you think you're not changing? And I think the reality that I've run up to over the years is that people are having their quiet times and they're still not changing. Because I'm not saying that that's bad. Right. You know, if that's a practice that you enjoy and that's a practice that you get, you derive something out of. But I think what the scripture is really getting at here is the conversations, the the discussions. I think at times even the arguments that would have came from, you know, like being a Berean. I think being a Berean, if you want to be a Berean, it means getting together in a group and kind of hashing some of this stuff out. Right. And to really like see, okay, what what do we really believe, guys? What do we really think about some of this stuff? So I think the myth of I can go it alone is that all I need is my Bible and a cup of tea or a cup of coffee in my case, and I'll have a great relationship with God. False. I think you need other people. I need other people. I need to be able to be talking this stuff out. And just um, really practicing God's existence throughout your day. It's um, it's uh, now in the fitness world, we know that working out for one hour early in the morning and then having a sedentary, sedentary. life, it's not beneficial. So I, now we're waking up to that, right? That it's not just one time, that it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, that it's not something that you can just do. You can't, like, just sit and do something. No. Um, what I'm saying is that we finally, based on research and just the number of sick people out there, mm. that we are not to just rely on working out one hour in the morning and then go to your office and sit for eight hours hours Mm. we are understanding that we are sending our children to schools to do the same thing from 8 a.m all the way to 3 p.m and we have taken physical pe out of the equation so what i'm trying to say with that example is that this is not just a one time aka research or digging in you know it's about a lifestyle 
anyway. No, I think I think I know what you mean. I think it's a it's a really good point. It's like you can't just have your quote unquote quiet time in the morning and then be good for the day. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that just in the same way, it's like, okay, I worked out one hour in the morning and I'm going to sit for 10. Why am I still like suffering from all these health concerns? Why am I still overweight? Why am I still struggling uh, with my health? You know, it's because like, you know, maybe we should stand at work. You know, maybe we should take more breaks, more frequent breaks and be walking. So that's good. I think I like that. Number two is the world. And if you come with me over to 1 John chapter 2, beginning of verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and his desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And so for me, I kind of would read that and I would think I would make that mean in my head that there was a there needed to be a separation mm-hmm. between me and the world mm-hmm. you know here I am I felt like I was in the kingdom I'm in the church so I need to love those things more than I love the world right I had to almost like hate that stuff I need to you know you can't trust people who aren't Christians you can't trust people who aren't in the church there's there's no good people out there. And for me, I've learned to to read the scripture a little differently, to really read this more about like how important it is to love, yeah. how the po- whole point of this is love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if this is, you know, the same John that wrote the Gospels of John, right, where there was obviously more complete thoughts. First John is a great letter. Everyone really needs to get into it. But it's real, it can be very problematic when you just pick things out of John without reading the whole thing to see how much it really is about love. You know, loving your neighbor, loving those in the church, loving those outside of the church, how love is like of primacy, primary importance. But in the Gospel of John, it says, For he so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Right? So God loves the world. Yeah. I need to love the world too. Yeah. God values the world. Yeah. I should value it too. There are people that are valuable outside of my church. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was very powerful because I felt like I had been running up against certain things in my own life, you know, my own problems, and um, either with my own Christianity or, or things with the global church, where I kind of like read some self-help books that we kind of, I've, I've been kind of... I've looked down on before as like, oh, the self-help books. Mm-hmm. Oh, those self-help books. And mock me for maybe the first five <laughs> years of our marriage. Right. And then I sat down and I actually read one of those mm-hmm. at a cabin in a lake mm-hmm. and it completely changed my life. Yeah, you mentioned that in one of the podcasts. Yeah, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, I had tried reading that as a young disciple leading a campus ministry and I got absolutely nothing out of it. I was like, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get this, you know. But it was because I wasn't really about love. I was about results. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't about vulnerability. I was about, I need to get things done. I remember being so frustrated with that book 
being like, this is supposed to be seven habits of highly effective people. When is he going to give me something to do? Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting here thinking. And about what life is all about. <laughs> and nothing's changing. And I don't like asking these questions because I don't know. Because mm-hmm. I've never thought about them before. Yeah. And asking the big questions are tough. Mm-hmm. But when you really learn how to read the Bible, the Bible is also forcing you to ask some of those big questions. And so for me, it was expanding, you know, I think taking it out of context, we can be like, oh, it's so simple. Hate the world. Yeah. You know, like only love God. I had a big problem with that. I know in the letter in our fellowship of churches came out, I had to do so much apologizing to my family. Mm. I literally had at that point looked down at them. I thought I was better because I was in the kingdom. They were out of the kingdom. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad I got to. It wasn't it was not pretty. It was not pretty. The whole transition was not pretty. However, looking back, I am very grateful that it happened early on in in my walk um and then i had problems also when i went to springfield you know i was Mm. very much judgmental to my friends who were christian there um and some people were not as gentle you know they're like you make me feel like i'm the worst christian ever i was like wow that's someone's faith I gotta really check myself. Yeah. And I, I do feel like what you can see from history and you can see from, you know, what we can put together in the New Testament mm-hmm. is that the Christian experience for people that encountered Christianity or disciples, the followers of Jesus, was quite the opposite. Yes. They would see these people who were amazingly vulnerable, yeah. amazingly loving, like, and they were just like, why? <laughs> why are you doing this? You know, and it was like, oh, it was because of Jesus. And even if that's all they knew, I think that was enough for a lot of people to be like, I, I want to be a part of this. I want to I want to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him. Versus, I think sometimes we can make our testimony out to be like, we need to condemn the world through our actions. Yeah. They need to look at us and be like, feel horrible about themselves because they're doing this and they're doing that. And we're going, no, I will not do that. You know, like... Yeah. Where that, I was coming a lot more from like that scripture because that's what um, I want to set up a more like a warning thing is that we hold on to these scriptures that are read to us when we're babies mm. in the faith, and then we don't read anything else, yep. and we hold on so tight to these scriptures, and it's like, what else did you did you read the rest? <laughs> yep. And, um, and I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not coming off here as, uh, I'm, again, I, I say this maybe every episode, you know, I'm reading these books and I am slowly reading my Bible. Mm. Too slow, too <laughs> slow for my own good. And mm-hmm. I know that N.T. Wright has always challenges to, to pray through the Gospels, um, to... Uh, and in the Bible project with, you know, uh, reading the Bible in a year, how praying to the Psalms and I'm not doing that yet. So I'm actually really excited about the class that you're going to start. Yeah. Um, because I, I want more help because I too, when you're reading all these scriptures, 
people have either read them to me or we've had conversations around this, which I find ironic that you actually literally, you know, mentioning some scriptures that I've been in conversation in the past two weeks. Not just for one or two or three, but it's been a few conversations. And these are the scriptures that we still hold on so tightly. So, and I know I know you disagree with this, but I, I feel like when people get rebuked on certain scriptures, it, it just taps more into our subconscious mind when we go through that kind of pain um, where we, we respond differently. So I, I do realize when, when there's a, a strong response to it, it comes from this was kind of like turning point for people where they were like, no, because of this, and I deeply believed in this, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to repent. And so when that's being, it's not even challenge. We're just, we're encouraging everyone here to read the whole letter, read the whole book. <laughs> Do not get stuck. I want verse yep. and make life decisions out of that. Mm-hmm. It's just so painful for me. I this, and I know we've been saying it lately. How I, especially in certain days, that is more painful for us. That's all I feel. I feel pain mm-hmm. when we look at these scriptures and this way. Um, it's this is very painful, especially when you care so much about people. And I know that, you know, someone that we had a conversation mentioned about, you know, you gotta meet people where they're at, mm-hmm. and and just using that um, as an inspiration to know that you know what, God was waiting for me to discover all this too, right? Just like God was waiting for you to really struggle and battle with Paul for you to go back and you know in anti rights timing and in the Bible project and your own research and looking at the scriptures we're we're honestly and thank you honey for sharing your process um with these scriptures these are great what's yep. what's the last this thing? is the last one and uh Patty's <laughs> gonna eat um this I think I'm getting more emotional <laughs> <laughs> Be vulnerable, honey. Be be vulnerable. Myth number three, again, I can go to alone. The third way I think this shows up is w- with the church. Okay. You know, like, I don't need the church. Mm-hmm. Which I think a lot of people will be like, what? That's not that's not true. You know, and for me, it came from uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Um, I want to read the whole thing. But I'm going to start in verse 12. 12, 12. What book are we reading? 1 Corinthians. Okay. We're in the Corinthians a lot today. I don't know if you can see a theme here. Like my struggle with Paul is like I'm very intimately connected with a lot of these scriptures. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though as many, and through though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. And then he kind of goes on to this beautiful illustration. Now, this scripture for me used to just mean my church. Mm. It used to just mean the people in my church, in my tradition, specifically in the building while it was being preached. 
And I've used this scripture to talk to a group of Christians to be like, okay, guys, we all need to pull our weight. We all need to do um, what we need to do. We all need to use our unique talents and gifts to help each other. It's funny. I've used that and you've always looked at me funny, but never actually <laughs> challenged me on that. That's well, getting me a little upset, but I, that's okay. I think, I think that's, that's true, too. You were in a different journey, though, at that time because this yeah. is last year. Yeah, well, I, I think that's true as well. I right. think that that's not, I'm not saying that's not true. I think sometimes like when you come to a deeper understanding. No, I was just saying that I wish you would have just been more open and transparent about right. your new findings. Well, we weren't there yet in our conversations. All I'm saying is that just like when I read Surprise for Hope, I almost <laughs> threw the book at you. Like, wait, what? Uh, you knew this all yeah, along? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's a big problem. <laughs> I do about it. Yeah. Uh, I know you're growing and you're communal I'm not getting learning. Any, I'm not getting any taller. <laughs> I hope you're not waiting for that. No, no, no in learning and community. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. You are learning. Growing, sorry. Yeah. You're growing in that area. I, I am the man in the mirror. Thank you, Michael Jackson. <laughs> um, however. Yes. When I, when I read the scripture now, mm-hmm. I see something deeper. And I see a problem that no one is really talking about. It doesn't bother the average Christian. Uh, I've talked again and again. I feel like this is like a common theme uh, of new people that come into our church. It's just all about their local church. It's all about their local version of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the body of Christ has been broken. That there's all these different denominations. All these different traditions. All like... not wanting anything to do with each other doesn't really bother people. It bothers me very much so. And it's always bothered me as well. I think I came from the other side of the fence growing up Catholic. Um, You know, like, I don't think this was never, this was ever directly said to me. But I think, like, growing up Catholic, you you kind of dismiss Protestantism Protestantism and everything else because it's like, well, they... They're not the one universal church. Mm. They can't trace their origins all the way back to Peter, the first pope. You know, the way uh, we looked at it as Catholics and many Catholics do today. Um, So it it wasn't necessarily even on our radar there. And then, you know, coming into this tradition, uh, you know, Church of Christ kind of tradition, mainline church, uh, ICOC. Um, and no, again, it didn't really bother me because, you know, at one time it was preached that we were the only church. So I was just convinced that even if you said you were in another church, you really weren't most likely in the one universal church. You were going to hell. Uh, but I think that this scripture makes you reckon with, like uh, N.T. Wright said on a recent podcast I heard where he was kind of getting interviewed. It's called Ask N.T. Wright Anything. Great podcast. Highly recommend that they come out with an episode about once a month. Uh, N.T. Wright was like asked a question of St. Paul or Paul, right, was all of a sudden brought here in a time machine. What would what would he say? What would what and he was like, well, what would he say? He would be really upset. He would be really upset. (laughs) I can't. I can't. Uh, Now, I want to be I want to be his buddy one day. So I want to stay on his good side. Uh, I think N.T. Wright was saying that Paul would be really upset about how fractured we are as a body of Christ, and even more upset that nobody else seemed to care about it. Mm -hmm. No one else was, like, throwing up any alarm bells. Mm -hmm. So 
I say this to say I don't know necessarily what to do about it. Mm-hmm. You can't change people. This isn't a problem that you can solve. I know like when we have problems, we want to solve them. Yeah. I think this is kind of a problem you have to learn to live with. But it can never stop bothering you. Yeah. And so I think as different denominations, we've kind of taught ourselves that unity really matters inside our own denomination. Mm-hmm. But global humanity, global unity of the global church doesn't really matter. And then when I read this... I'm like, absolutely it does. Yeah. Uh, the seed was definitely planted on me when I was deeply bothered about the nonprofits. So when, you know, as I mentioned earlier, YMCA since five years old and and I got out of the I and I went to another nonprofit, uh, I found out that the uh, executive of that nonprofit used to have beacon meetings with other nonprofits what? to talk about the community. <laughs> and I was, that was the first time because I guess I've been in a YMCA bubble for mm-hmm. so long that when he said that, <laughs> yes, I'm getting goosebumps. It was so deep. And it's just funny that I say deep because his name was actually Deep. What? Who used to be so part deep. of all these beacon meetings right mm-hmm. and it was about listen let's throw away our hats here where we come from we're community leaders how do we work together and that was the seed planted in me and just stopping for a second and looking around mm-hmm. i'm very grateful that this man talk to me about back in the 90s and that gives me goosebumps because i was just a little punk camper or camp counselor mm. and the there were all these meetings hmm. about these communities that i either led or was part of you know like i just recently had an interview shout out to Artie, Ooh. who talked about he was part of the process of bringing a beacon to the middle school that i went to oh wow. doesn't that give you goosebumps that's like, kind of cool that, I was like, wait you went to as like a middle schooler yes <laughs> well, well he awesome. wrote the grant years after yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but there is a ymca there now it's great um and he was part of all these different grant writing for the communities that i let later you know, not necessarily with the why, but they were part of that conversation. And so, yeah, things that I'm, I'm grateful for that seed to now turn around and really be bothered with those scriptures. Yeah. Like it really did bother me. And, and another thing to add just to that, many of my best friends left to go to other churches and still seeing their love for God and, and, and really wanting to learn more was, you know, at first I deeply judged them. Oh, you're going to that church. Mm. I, yeah, you say you didn't fall away from God. And ah, oh, so I am ashamed of saying that or even thinking that. Yeah. I think it's something that is, you know, very important. And I think it should be bothering more of us. I think things that tend to bother us tend to get solved, Mm -hmm. even if we don't know how to solve it as they're bothering us. So I think just remembering that, 
What's you know, that? we can't do it alone. Mm, the yes. church, no matter yes. how great you are, yes. no matter what your denomination is, yes. you can't do it alone. You need to demand more of your leaders. Mm-hmm. If you're, like for instance, our own church, like we're in the Staten Island community. Yeah. I don't know the last time we all sat down with other community groups, whether yes. they're Christian or not, and just talked through things. Yeah. And uh, you know what? I mean, kind of like, you know, like kind of waking me up a little bit. I'm, I'm pretty sure there are groups that meet. I think I actually know somebody who, who brings people together like this. Uh, we used to used to be the parent coordinator for one of the schools that we worked at. And uh, I went to a handful of his meetings. And I, I probably should go to more, yeah. you know, because, you know, I'm always invited. It's a challenge for us. Yeah, it's a because challenge we don't, for us. we don't need the, our, our congregation to be in the part of these meetings. Yeah, you don't need anyone to sign off on it. No one needs to. We don't need to ask permission to be a part of these meetings. You know, Absolutely. I think um, the the mission and the language of God is always an attempt to bring the world back together. Yeah. Um, through Israel, through Jesus, yeah. through us, Amen. you know, as the result of Jesus's ministry and life and the culmination of the Israel story, um, that dividing wall of hostility being, you know, torn in two. And um, I think sometimes, I think what we really need to do is we need to just really just understand that it's not all about us. Mm-hmm. Whether Whatever church you're in, what, whatever denomination, whatever tradition, whatever you're doing as a Christian to meet with groups of people, it's not all about you and you're missing a lot. And I think in a sense you're missing the, the whole point of 1 Corinthians 12 when you ignore those other parts of the body, you know, uh, I'm I'm not so sure how I think about this, but uh, I believe it was N.T. Wright that pointed this out to me as well. That um, you know, we don't necessarily know whether speaking in tongues was something that every church did in the first century. We know it was happening in Corinth, and it's kind of been assumed by many people that oh, that was just something that happened in the first century. It was various gifts of the Holy Spirit that were given up on laying of the apostles' hands. And once the apostles died off, those gifts weren't, you know, present anymore. But we don't really know that. No one actually wrote that down, like, you know. Uh, but we do know that something something was happening in Corinth, you know, where people were speaking in tongues. Um, and I, I just wonder, you know, because we're part of a group of churches that, you know, have all the boroughs of New York City. We're kind of like one big church. I wonder in my head what would happen if all of a sudden Brooklyn started speaking in tongues. Like, what would we do? <laughs> We'd be like, oh, they're a Pentecostal church. They're they're not part of us anymore, you know? But in Paul's mind, even if churches were doing different things and had maybe different gifts, different manifest, manifestations of the Spirit, he still saw them as one church. Mm-hmm. And I think that in my own life, I've been challenged to do that. We're challenging each other right now because mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I got to be more part of these groups. I got to yeah. be more part of sitting down with people and just, you know, talking to them, yeah. you know. And uh, I want to talk about Billy Graham for a second because I grew up like seeing him on TV mm-hmm. and just thinking he was ridiculous because mm-hmm. he'd be like, all I remember is like, put your hand on a TV. He probably never said this, mm-hmm. but like, and pray Jesus into your heart and Accept him, and I was like, "Whoa, this guy is like ridiculous. Who is this guy?" Um, but I found out years later that he was actually spearheading a, a conference where he was trying to bring all evangelical denominations 
back together. Like he had these big conferences that people would go to. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, We actually had an opportunity to go to the Billy Graham Library when we were in, I forget where we were, might have been North Carolina. I don't remember where it was. But we could have gone. I remember looking at it and be like, oh, I really don't want to go there. Hmm. you know. And now I kind of wish I did and I want to go back because I think that's really humble. And wow. that's amazing that somebody who had reached that level of a church denomination yeah. was like, no, we got we to gotta try and bring bring us all back together, guys. I'm full of goosebumps. Yeah, me too. I'm getting like a little like tingly too because I'm like that. Wow. Like, you know, like, I've never been a part of something like that, mm. but I want to. Yeah. I want to take First Corinthians 12 seriously, one body, many parts. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how. <laughs> and, you know, here's kind of an open invitation. Let's figure this yes. out together. If you're listening to this, whether you're from our own tradition or another tradition, please reach out to us uh, via our website or, you know, iTunes Always please like, subscribe, leave a rating and review. It helps people find us. And you know what? In the finding, it's okay. Because this is how we're going to find each other. Yeah. From different denominations, we're going to find each other. Yeah. I've been having such a hard time, even in my YouTube channel, saying hit the bell button, da 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 It was like somehow it's like, oh, you know, people are going to like think X, Y, Z. But this is a message bigger than us. That's right. So yes, please do leave the rating and stars because it exposes people to this conversation. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't. I know I cut you off in the middle. I just really got excited. I, I feel like we have a message too, <laughs> yes. and I feel like we have something to contribute. I don't think I'm gonna be the best at saying the message. No. What I feel called to do mm-hmm. is bring people together. Amen. To have the conversation. Yes. Which is why we're trying to change the world one <laughs> conversation at a time. We have a cuter person who's going to end up um, our podcast for today with a very special message. Cuter than me? Cuter than you. What? Quiet on a set. We're going for live and five, <coughs> four, One conversation at a time.